Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Transformation, and it is part of the Life of Paul Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Apostle Paul, wow, that's a big subject, huh? Uh, before we get into it, a couple things I want to talk to you about. One is, uh, you've already been talked about, the Reveal study meeting. We really uh, uh, hope you will come back in. Uh, we need to give you time to uh, go get your children from Children's Church and Nursery. And we, so take the time to do that. And feel free to go and Sandy's grab a cup of coffee. You can bring uh, your coffee back in the sanctuary. I, I really hope you will, will give us this time. Because it's, it's about you, and it's about your church, and it's about the questions you answered. Thank you for participating in that study. It really revealed uh, some things to us that are really important, and, and some things we knew, some things we didn't know. Uh, some very, very encouraging things about our church. Very encouraging about your engagement with the Word, your uh, beliefs, and your, your, your strong faith. Uh, some, some things we need to work on. So we'll talk about that also in the meeting. And we'll try, to, we'll try to wrap it as quickly as possible. You know, 20 minutes is, is my goal. And maybe a few, couple more minutes beyond that. But we'll really work to get you out of here into your afternoon responsibilities. Other thing is uh, my uh, small group or, or community group, rather, that I'm leading on Monday nights. We're excited about doing a game night uh, with you and eat, meet, and play games, and we're really excited about that, and we really think it's really important that we fellowship and we hang out together and we, we do life together. So this is our attempt to kind of give you a gift to do that. However, because of another appendix snowstorm tonight, we don't know really what it's going to bring, and downtown gets really sketchy when you have snow. Uh, there's could be A parking ban could still be in effect. Even if there's not a parking ban, it's still things don't get cleaned up right away. So we're going to postpone tomorrow night. We're still going to do it. So we'll uh, uh, we, tentatively we've scheduled for the following Monday night. But we're going to I'm going to sit down with the group tomorrow night. So tentatively we've scheduled it for the 11th. But we're going to sit down. I'm going to talk to the group tomorrow night. So be uh, you'll get a text, uh, an email, social media, every way we can let you know. Uh, we will let you know this week exactly when we're going to do that, and we're going to have a great time together. So let's get into the Word. We're going to go in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Now, this is not the story. This is not the story of the, of the chapter where Paul's encounter with Christ actually happens, but it's the... Um, but it's him recounting it, and I, and I thought it was a little more concise, so it shows you, you want to go over to Acts chapter 9, you should read that chapter and read the whole story of Paul's conversion, and, um, uh, or I'm not going to use the word conversion today, I'm going to use the word transformation, his encounter with Christ, his encounter with Christ. Now, Apostle Paul is the most important figure, uh, I believe, in history, apart from Jesus Christ, the most important human in history, for reasons that I hope to unfold for you as we get into this uh, series. 
and we get into this message. And I hope, hopefully we can make it, uh, help us all understand the relevance of, 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 of knowing about the Apostle Paul, the relevance of understanding him. And here's a man who wrote, um, who wrote most of the New Testament and, uh, uh, and who gave us the revelation of God's grace and the understanding of salvation. Though he was a disciple who came late, his understanding of Christ and his understanding of salvation, his understanding of the new covenant was uh, far superseded those who had walked with Christ. Now let's read it and we'll get into it. Brothers and sisters, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city. Now I will give you more historical context later. I'm not going to get into that today, but I will later. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Very important. Underline that. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are here today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council uh, can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, I came near Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I ask? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I ask? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and Saul, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all people of what you've seen and heard. This is the word of the Lord. N.T. Wright, who has studied Apostle Paul more than any other human being alive, I'm sure, says, biography involves thinking into the minds of people who we do not think the same way as. So my goal in this talk today, in this message today, is to try to understand Paul's transformation from being a persecutor of the Christian church to becoming an ardent defender of Jesus Christ and his church. He would later refer to himself as a father in the gospel. I also want to do this today. I want to call each of you, and I want you to understand your call to a transformed life. Now, I use the word transformed instead of converted on purpose today. Because to say that Paul was converted would imply that Paul was converted to a different religion. But he really wasn't converted to a different religion. He was a thoroughly a Jew and thoroughly steeped in Judaism but he was transformed. His Judaism was transformed 
by the introduction of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. A key passage in 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and it says, follow me, or 1.1, 1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let's all say that together. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul grew up in a Jewish community in a Turkish city of Tarshish. Came from a prominent family. We know this because of his education and his rise to prominence. The, the poor kids on the wrong side of the track didn't get to go be mentored by Gamaliel, the, the most famous Jewish teacher of the day. Paul came from a family who knew what it meant to be Jewish. It meant a Jewish system of holiness and piety and morality. It equally meant the active propagation of an ancestral way of life, defending that ancestral way of life against all external attacks. And also, this is very important, against internal corruption. Paul was part of a family and a belief that urged the traditions of the Jewish Torah on other Jews, especially those who seemed to be compromising. Now, Saul was, uh, took, a, took a turn from his teacher, Gamaliel. Gamaliel uh, was a live-and-let-live guy. And you can, if you can see that in a place where when, when the Jewish leaders were wanting to persecute the Christians, Gamaliel stood up in the early part of the book of Acts. And Gamaliel stood up and said, we should just leave them alone. If it's of God, it will succeed. If it's not of God, it will go away. Basically is what he said. So he was a live and let live kind of a guy. But he had a rival teacher. He had a rival teacher named Shammai. S-H-A-M-M-I-A-I. Shammai was, was the opposite of Gamaliel. And he believed that, we needed, that they needed to go aggressively after anybody who was departing from Judaism. Any Jew who was departing from the Judaism that they understood from the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. They were to be aggressively pursued. So Paul took a departure from the live and let live ideas of Gamaliel. And followed, evidently we don't know for sure where he got his influence. But we know that in Paul's day there was this other rabbi who was, was, was took very aggressive stance against anybody who tried to corrupt the Jewish way of life and guess who was corrupting the Jewish way of life? Followers of Jesus Christ. They were the enemies of the Torah. They were the enemies of the law of Moses. They were the, they, they were the enemies in, in the Jewish mind of the ancestral traditions handed down to them by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Saul's young mind was steeped in those ideas of the Torah and that they were one people and one Lord. He lived in the hope of the Passover, which, which meant freedom from the rule of foreigners. That's what it meant. He dreamed of a whole new world where Israel would be rescued from dominance once and for all. Paul was named after King Saul. He was a Benjamite. He was from the same tribe as King Saul in the Old Testament. You might say, well, where did Paul come from? Well, Paul was his Roman name. And we don't see him call Paul until Acts chapter 13 on the island of Cyprus where he began to, be called, he began to call himself Paul. The word, the, the word Paul means small. We don't know. Many, many people believe he was, he was a small, small dude. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Probably was. I want you to know about Paul for three reasons. I believe he's the most important shaper of modern Western civilization apart from Jesus Christ. 
I love to read and listen to Tom Holland. Tom Holland is an atheist, but he's a historian. And you can, you can YouTube a, one of the most interesting uh, interviews that I've watched. is an interview with N.T. Wright, the Bishop of Durham, Tom Holland, and whoever in, conducted the interview over in Britain. And Tom Holland says in that interview in many, many other places that he was a fanatical student of Greek and Roman history and steeped himself, in, and he's written many, many books about uh, um, Cicero and Plato and ancient Greece, ancient Rome. And he thought, he said, I thought that I was a child of. I, I thought that was the influence that had influenced me and Western culture to be what it was. He said, but I began to read the epistles. I begin to read the words of Paul and I begin to read about where Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. I begin to read where Paul would advocate being kind to one's slave and, and caring and begin to read about where he would advocate to men to love their wives. And I realized that was the opposite of what Rome and Greece taught. They taught that slaves were property and you could kill your slave. And they taught that, 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 that your spouse, your wife, w had no rights. They, they were brutal. It was a brutal culture. He said, and I began to realize that I, in my ethics and in my beliefs, I was thoroughly Christian because of the writings of Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul and the writings of Apostle Paul was the first writings in history. There is no writings in history before Paul that empowered victims. We think this empowerment of victims, oh, that's a postmodern idea. We just thought of that. That's, that's something that's been invented on the college campuses. And what would we do if we didn't have the intellectuals teaching us about the rights of the marginalized? I want you to know no culture ever considered the rights of the marginalized. In Roman and Greek culture, if you were weak and you were, you were a victim and you were small, they looked at you and said, too bad. Too bad. You, you, can go, you can go beg. I'm telling you, Apostle Paul is the greatest influence on Western civilization that he, he, he established the, the foundation for it. Amen. Amen for Apostle Paul. He single-handedly bridged the gap between the Old and the New Testament, both philosophically and ethically. Paul's guidance is essential to understand how to link the Old Testament and the New Testament, how to link the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, and not get trapped in the teachings of the Old Covenant that are to be left in the Old Covenant, but how to bring forward what was in the Old Covenant those things that are still apart and are necessary in the new covenant. Thirdly, his encounter with Christ properly defines what it means to be saved. So let's look at three things today. Let's look at the nature of transformation, the look of transformation, and our access to transformation. Looking at the clock back there and our meeting that we're going to have today, I probably won't finish this message today. But I'm going to get through the first point, and I think it's the most important thing for you to hear today anyway, is the first point. And we'll, we'll catch up next Sunday and the week after. Let's look at the nature of transformation. Now, the term 
Transformation is a great word, by the way. I love this word. And it's what I want you to experience. And it's what, you know, you can experience something, but you don't have a, you don't have a full appreciation for it. I mean, you can get married and be married for many years and not really appreciate being married until you're all alone one day or one week or one year or two years. You go, boy, I, I should have appreciated being married. You can be transformed by God's power, I believe, but you don't clue into it like you should. So that's going to help some of us there, all right? The term Damascus Road experience has become proverbial, referring to any sudden transformation in personal belief or character or conversion of religious or political, even, even aesthetic nature. You know, tr- transformation, it would be, it would be, um, I don't know, Steve, you're over here, I'm thinking of you. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you started wanting to go to the opera, and not the grand old opera, he likes the grand old Opry, if you, if you started wanting to go, if you wanted to go see Beauty and the Beast, it would be transformation of your aesthetic taste. If I wanted to go see the Nutcracker all of a sudden next, next Christmas, that would, be, that would be a transformation of my aesthetic taste. <laughs> when it's religious, it's almost always about bad people becoming good people in our minds. John Newton, famous, the most famous story perhaps in history of what we call Damascus Road experience, the slave trader. John Newton, the slave trader who, praying in the hold of a ship one day, in a storm, had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and the slave trader became the ex-slave trader. And he became a pastor in London, England, became a friend of William Wilberforce, and influenced the first anti-slave trading laws in the world, as far as we know. And, of course, he wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I call that a pretty good Damascus Road story, right? However, there's two insights about Paul that are very, very important. And because of stories like John Newton's, and we think, what a horrible person who's, who, who, who was involved in the slave trade. Because of stories like that, and because of all these stories that we know, and if we're going to have testimony time at Bethany, if we're going to have next Sunday, we're going to have testimony Sunday, you know you're going to hear some stories where people are going to come up here, and they were bad people, and they got saved, and now they're nice people. They were, you know, drunkard and drug addicts and prostitutes and, and all kind of, you know, embezzlers. Uh, you know, if somebody, if somebody murdered somebody, you know, like committed homicide, not, you know, Paul was involved in people, people persecuting people, but, but he didn't just go uh, kill somebody because he was angry at them or because he, he, got in a, he was getting in bar fights and killing people. And so somebody's going to get up here and they're going to tell him, we're going we're to say that's transformation, and it certainly is. But here's two things about Paul. He was not. A bad man. Not in the classic social sense. He was not a bad man. He was an ultra-responsible spiritual man. He loved God. You say, but he, but he persecuted Christians and he, he put them in jail. That was because he loved God so much. And, 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 and next Sunday I'm going to talk about the zeal of Paul. 
And, and, and we're going to talk about, and we'll, I'm going to show you the foundations for being zealous. And for being a zealot, it was a, it was a holy thing to be a zealot in the Jewish tradition. So Paul was, Paul was a zealot, but he was not a bad man. He, he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he paid his bills on time. He didn't get, he, he wasn't a drunkard. He didn't, he wasn't an adulterer. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't a thief. He wasn't a liar. Paul was a, he was, he was on the Sanhedrin. He was in the, he was in one of the highest positions in Jewish culture. Also, the thing about Paul, and I'm going to come back to both these points in a second. He was not a blank slate. N.T. Wright makes this point very well. Some of us, you know, some of us who've come to Christ, and I think it happens to a lot of us, and, and this is not a put down, by the way, it's just, just a fact. Because of it, probably Western culture, individualistic culture, uh, uh, some of us, before we become Christians, we're so overtaken purely by fleshly desire or the pursuit of nonsense, <laughs> we kind of appear to ourselves, anyway, as blank slates. We don't have any major passion in life or purpose in life or something we're trying to accomplish. We're not, we're not Apostle Paul trying to... Apostle Paul was trying to save the world. We're not doing anything like that. We're, so we, we just feel like, you know, before I came to Christ, I didn't have any purpose. That wasn't true of Paul. Paul had tons of purpose. <laughs> he was overloaded with purpose. So I, I, hang in with me. I think you're going to... I think for some of you, this is going to help you. Because... We got some Apostle Pauls in the room. We got some Pauls in this room. More Pauls than we, than we know. And so, so let, let me unpack this a little bit. Um, let's talk about Paul was not a bad man. Let me talk about that for a minute. Many of us don't grasp our need for transformation because we're stuck in the idea that we barely need it. How many of you know that everybody who's not a Christian is not a thief? Everybody who's not a Christian is not a liar. Everybody that's not a Christian is not sexually immoral. Everybody that's not a Christian is not a jerk. I know some Christians who are. <laughs> Amen? Being moral is good. But a moralist, you're going to hear that word, moralist, you can write that word down, moralist. A moralist thinks the purpose of God is accomplished by merely being well behaved. Some people come to church and they become good little people. They become goody two-shoes and they think, they think they're transformed. No, they're just reformed. You've been, to, you've been to God's reform school, so you're a nicer person. That's good. We like that. That's better than, the better than nothing. <laughs> but let me tell you something. If you're just trying to be morally good, you're aiming too low. I said if you're just trying to be morally good, you're aiming too low. Acts 22, what shall I do, Lord, I ask? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Paul wasn't reformed. He was transformed. 
And then Acts, listen to the words of Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said, Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So, so God wasn't saying, okay, Ananias, pray for him that he'll quit drinking. <laughs> that he'll quit lying. That he'll quit cheating on his wife. No, you lay hands on him, pray for him, because I have chosen him to do a great work. I've chosen him to do something amazing. See, God doesn't want to just save you so you can be a good person, but God wants to save you so you can be dangerous to the devil. I said, God doesn't want to just save you so you can be a good person. God wants to transform you so you will be dangerous and a threat to the powers of darkness. Rehabilitation is not transformation. I'm not knocking it, okay? If you need rehabilitation, let's get you rehabilitated. If you've got life-controlling problems... Let's, let's deliver you. The ministry of deliverance has been neglected in the church. But Paul didn't need the ministry of deliverance. He needed the ministry of transformation. He was, he was going in a direction. Motivated. God didn't change his motivation. God changed his motivator. His motivation was the law of Moses and his motivation, the law of Moses, got replaced by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul didn't change his, his motivation, but he changed his reason. He changed his direction. And he changed his approach. He never had anybody beat up after that. (laughs) Second thing about Paul, he was not a blank slate. Paul was serving God's purpose with all his might and passion. Paul was fulfilling the Genesis covenant to take dominion over the earth. That's what he was doing. Paul was establishing and acting out the Abrahamic covenant to establish the nation through which all of the nations would be blessed. But he was using it by using the blunt blunt force instrument of the law of Moses. But God met him in the person of Christ. I said a minute ago, let me say it again. Salvation is not to reform you, but to transform you. Let me me show you what I mean. You you, you go, well, you know, I like to party. Some of you here, you, you like to party. You really do like to party. Some of you are good at it. I'm not very good at it. I I am just... I want to read books and listen to lectures and talk to other people about the lectures I listen to. That's about as exciting as I get. I am not good at parties. You don't want me, you know, I just, whenever people talk about having a party, I look at everybody in the room, would you guys just put this together? Because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to throw a good party. Some of you really love parties. One person. You got more than that? No wonder Bethany, you know, come on. <laughs> I like, I like, well, let me just say this. When you get transformed, you start throwing holy parties. You don't quit, you don't quit liking to party. 
You say, well, I'm afraid if I get saved, I'll become a blank slate, and I won't like parties anymore. No, you'll still like parties, but you'll throw the right kind of parties. You'll win people to Christ by throwing parties. You'll make friends, good friends, and you'll, you'll have parties where there's wisdom shared, and you'll have parties where people get connected with other people, and people get, become a part of each other's lives, and they become lifelong friends because you are good at putting people together, and you're good at making, you're good at having fun. God doesn't want to reform you. He wants to transform you. So somebody, are you getting this? I, I thought this was going to get a better response. <laughs> Some of you like philosophy and intellectual conversation. God doesn't, want to, God doesn't want to reform you so that now you want to, you want to party. God wants to transform you. So you become a convincer of the Christian faith and the ways of wisdom, not just the Christian faith, not just about Jesus Christ, but you, be, you become a pro at what we call apologetics. And if you don't know what that means, you're not a philosopher. <laughs> You're a partier. <laughs> so don't, don't pay any attention. Don't even go look it up. You're not going to do anything with it after you look it up. You're never going to read a book on apologetics. <laughs> Paul's passion needed the presence of a redeeming Christ to rescue it from its murderousness and its errors. You know, think about it. Some of you, maybe you're a social justice warrior. And you are really concerned about hierarchies that push people down, that deny opportunity to the oppressed. And you are, you are just convinced and you're, you're just, you just care about the marginalized and those who have no voice. And you're, 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 you're worried about the 1% that have all the billions of dollars while the people at the bottom don't have the dollars. God doesn't, want to, God doesn't want to reform you. He wants to transform you. So you get rid of the bitterness and the hatred that goes with that way of thinking. You get rid of the hatred and the bitterness. And you stop, if you, when God transforms you, you'll stop hating rich people. But you won't quit loving poor people. I said, you'll stop hating rich people, but you won't quit loving poor people. And you will, you can, you will, God will use you and show you how to become a voice of justice that can also be a person that forgives and has mercy because some of the social, social justice warriors have forgotten how to have mercy and they've forgotten how to have grace and they've forgotten how to have forgiveness and, 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 and they're like, they're, they become like Apostle Paul going around trying to ruin people's lives who, are, who they feel are not getting with the program. God will transform you. He won't remove your desire for social justice. He will purify it. He will transform it. He will use you. He will, instead of being, instead of being, instead of being hysterical, you'll become Mother Teresa. A force for the poor and the marginalized and the needy and someone who lives with them and loves them and cares for them. When God changes your life, you're not just going to scream and carry placards. You're going to get involved, and you're going to make a difference in the world. Amen? I thought you were going to be more excited about this. <laughs> hey, maybe you're, a, maybe you're an American nationalist. You're not a social justice warrior. You're on the other end of the spectrum. You're an American nationalist. 
You believe, you believe in order. You believe in law and order. You believe in loyalty. Loyalty to institutions that have served us for centuries and have Western civilizations built them. Well, I, I could take you to the scripture and show you where that is of God. You say, well, God doesn't like nations. He wants to destroy nations. No. In the book of Revelations, the Bible says God has, has produced a tree for the healing of the nations. God is a nationalist. He's also a social justice warrior. So God will not remove. You won't start hating the Pledge of Allegiance because you get saved. You will learn how to love your country without making it an idol. You will learn how to love this, this, this nation and help bring it to, to the third. How, how many of you ready? think America needs a third great awakening? I think we need a third great awakening. I believe it's time. I believe it's time we have some people who fall on their face for America and pray and fast and see God move across our country. That's of God. Amen? God doesn't want to reform you. He wants to transform you and show you how to really care about your nation. Paul's passion needed the presence of a redeeming Christ to rescue it from its murderousness and its errors. That's what I want to get across today. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? That was Paul's passion. Paul's passion, the scene of the kingdom of God established through Israel, wasn't reformed, it was transformed. He still wanted to see the salvation of God come through Israel, but he found out it wasn't going to be done through armies. It wasn't going to be done with tanks and guns. It wasn't going to be done by a, a national movement. It wasn't going to be done through the instrument called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but it was going to be, happen through an old rugged cross where the Savior died and the Savior would inhabit the hearts of men and women until there's such an army of believers that God will, Jesus will take notice and he will come back. I love the story of Joshua and the commander of the host of the armies of the Lord in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. I love that story. If you read my blog, you saw I wrote about it the other day. But I think I will close with the story. Just kind of recounting. I won't go and read it to you. But uh, Israel in the Old Testament, book of Joshua, they've left Egypt. They crossed the desert. Took them 40 years. It was an 11-day journey, but they're a lot like me. I usually take the long way in life. Everything I do, take the long way. So they took a 40-day journey, an 11-day journey, and they turned it into 40 years. How many of you can relate? You can relate. Things God wanted to do for you, he could have done in a week and a half, and you made him take 40 years. Join the club. We're the, we're the children of God, Steve. And so they cross, they finally get there. Moses is dead. Joshua's going to lead the people into the, into the new land. They cross the River Jordan, and they're about to, they're going to overtake the city of Jericho. City of Jericho is surrounded by a great big wall that you could, you could ride a chariot with horses around the top of that wall. It was so wide. And he's looking at that wall, and I know what he's doing. He's strategizing. He's probably got his battering ram set up, and he's uh, got charts, you know, all over the wall and what he's going to do and how he's going to attack the city of Jericho and where he's going to station his men and, 
and how he's going to protect the women and the children. He's probably got it all figured out. And all of a sudden, a man walks up that he doesn't know. And he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man said, no. No. I am the captain of the host of the armies of the Lord. Let me paraphrase it. I didn't come here to take sides. I came here to take over. God transformed Joshua's vision of how the plan of God would be accomplished. Paul, following his strategy, was we've got to get rid of those Christ followers so Judaism can rise up and the world can be saved. He ran into the boss on the way to Damascus. A bright light shone from heaven. And it was as though Paul said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And Christ the Lord said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You got it right, Paul. I am the Lord. I am the boss. And I've come to transform you. I am the way. Not your Judaism. Not your old covenant. But I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. That's where transformation will begin for you. Transformation will begin when you say, Lord, one word, one word, when you say, Lord, when you say, Lord Jesus, you've said it all. That's where it begins. And so that's what I want to invite you to do. I can't wait to get more into this next Sunday and unpack this a little more. What lordship means, what faith means. What the Pledge of Allegiance to Jesus really means. It's the most, it's absolutely the most important and exciting message that there is. But you could take that first step today. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to have a prayer. And, and I believe that God spoke to some people a while ago. When you've just been thinking about and concerned about becoming a good person, because you know, some of you sitting out here today, you know you've been a bad person. You've done bad things. And God loves you, you know? You know that, right? God loves you in spite of that. But you, what you needed to hear is there's something in you already that's not bad. There's something in you that's very good because you were created by God. The Bible says Christ is the light that lighteth every man that comes in the world. That means you too. Not just me. You. Christ is, is, the light of Christ is already inside of you too. But you need to come to, to the one who created you so he can shape what is good in you already. What you're already interested in and what you already care about and what you're already good at, he wants to enhance and bless and mentor and develop and bring out. God doesn't just want to make you a good little girl or a good little boy. He wants to make you a transformer in this community. He's got, a, he's got an assignment for you. And the sad thing is if you keep living that life of sin and debauchery, 
and drugs and alcohol and all of that stuff, if you keep doing that, it's not just that you're going to ruin, destroy your physical body, which you're going to do that, by the way. It's the, but that's not the deal. That, that's not the whole problem. The, it's the people that are never going to get to experience the wonderful you. That's the tragedy. The tragedy is the people who are never going to get to experience the Apostle Paul that you are. The transformer that you are. The amazing person that you are. The amazing gift that resides in you that this world is so hungry for outside of these four walls and inside these four walls. We're so hungry for your gift. We're so hungry for your gift. But your gift will never be present. We'll never be able to unwrap it if you don't say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Let me say it again. That awesome gift you have will never unwrap it if you don't say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Take over. Take over. I don't know what I'm doing. I thought I knew what I was doing, but I don't know. I really don't know what I'm doing. Oh, this is good. Turn to your neighbor and say, good news. This is the good news of the gospel. Let me say one more thing. I just got to say this. Notice, and I'm... I, I believe in eternal life, and I believe that's part of the story of the gospel. You receive eternal life. I believe there's a heaven out there, you know? The, the, the Bible talks about the heaven that's coming down to earth and all that. I believe in that place. But did you notice in this entire narrative of Paul, there's not one word about getting saved and going to heaven. Not one word about getting saved and going to heaven. It's all about getting transformed and being a force for the kingdom on the earth. The reason, this, the reason this is so important is because you may just sign a little piece of paper or pray a prayer with somebody and think, okay, I'm all set now. I'm gonna, when I die, I'm not going to rot or I'm not going to go to hell. And then you go back to your life and you don't live a transformed life because you didn't know that's what you were being invited to. You just thought you were getting an insurance. You were basically buying fire insurance. Well, I got my fire insurance, so I won't, go, I won't burn in hell now. So I, I'm going to do all sorts of things. And, and I'm not saying a sinless life. I have not. Don't anybody say, I said, you're going to go live a sinless, perfect, a perfectly sinless life. You're not going to do that. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes, all that. But it's totally different to feel you're transformed for earth than just thinking you're saved from hell. It's totally different. And your purpose in life, and, and, and you will not be able to help but jump out of, start jumping out of bed in the morning when you realize you're not just saved from hell, which you are, by the way, but you're not just saved from hell, but you're transformed for earth. I just want to keep preaching, guys. This is God's... <laughs> you want me to stop? Okay, I'll stop. I want, to, I want to pray with those of you. We're, we're going to, I, I really apologize uh, that we're not doing, I see the communions here. So yes, you can see, receive communion this morning. But prayer partners, we love our prayer partners and our response time. But we're just in a season now where we're having to do some other things. But we'll get back to it. So I'm going to pray. And if you want to come and receive communion, please do that. And then consider yourself dismissed. But I'm going to pray for you who need to receive the transforming power of Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for everybody in this room who needs to receive the transforming power of Christ. 
who've not done that. I pray they will do that. They will confess right now that they are sinners, but you are Lord. And you are saving them from their sins and from their life of no purpose. And I pray for those who've received this great salvation, but they've neglected it. I pray they will pick their salvation back up. Not as just an insurance policy against hell, but as a transforming life, altering presence and ethic and power to live on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and receive communion. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.